Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred at Home, Episode 9 May had come again, waking the flowers with her sunny skies and balmy breath. And our friends at Pleasant Plains spent much of their time in their gardens. Delighting in each other's society, they were often together now in Mr. Keith's grounds, now in Dr. Landris, and anon in Wallace Ormsby's. Mrs. Keith missed her sons, who had always relieved her of the heavy part of the work of cultivating the flowers she so loved. But their place was filled, so far as they that was concerned, by a haired gardener, and she found herself better able to endure the absence of Rupert and Don out of doors than in, especially when her daughters and baby grandsons were her companions. Mildred took great pleasure in the laying out and improvement of the comparatively extensive grounds about her new home, and husband, mother, aunt, and sisters entered heartily into her plans, helping with advice and suggestions, sometimes followed, sometimes not, but always appreciated as evidence of their affectionate interests. As for her husband, she and all her doings were altogether perfect in his eyes. She was queen of his small realm, and could be do no wrong. She excelled every other woman as wife, mother, and housekeeper. Her taste was beyond criticism, and whatever she desired must be done. He was nearly as great a paragon in her eyes. Zilla was quite as devoted a wife and competent a housekeeper as her older sister but not so wise and faithful a mother no child was more comfortably or tastefully clad than hers or had more tender caresses lavished upon it she meant also to take proper care of his bodily health and was quite resolved in the long run to train him up in the way he should go she wanted him to grow up a good man and a strong and healthy one but in the meantime was often weakly indulgent to the damage of both his physical and moral natures the two sisters, taking work and babies along, were spending a sociable afternoon with their mother. The little boys playing about the room met with an occasional mishap. Piercy tripped on the carpet and fell, striking his head against the leg of the table. He burst into a cry, and Annis, running to pick him up, exclaimed, Oh, the poor little dear! That did hurt him, I know. But Mildred, taking him from her, said in a sprightly tone, Oh, he's mother's soldier boy. He isn't going to cry for a trifle. But what a blow that table got. Poor table. She bent down and stroked and patted it pittingly. Piercy stopped crying to echo her words and imitate her action. Piercy didn't do to her. Oh, he went on. Piercy tissed the piece and made it well, suiting the action to the word. Then his mother, having dried his eyes, and giving him a kiss, he went back to his play. Zilla had watched the little scene with interest. Is that the way you do? she said to Mildred. Don told me that was your way, and I believe, as he says, it is better than mine. What is yours? asked Mildred, resuming the sewing she had dropped on Piercy's fall. Oh, I've always made a fuss over my boy's hurts, pitied him, and blamed the chair, or table, or whatever he had struck against for hurting him, and have pretended to punish it, just to take his attention from his hurt and so stop his crying. Are you not afraid of teaching him to be selfish and revengeful? Mildred asked, with a look of grave concern. 
I never thought of that, and I'm afraid it may, said Zilla frankly. I shall not do so any more. Annis was laying herself out for the entertainment of her little nephews. Presently she came with a request. The boys want me to take them out to the garden to play horse, may I? I have no objection to Piercy's going, said Mildred. The fresh air will be very good for him, I think, as well as the exercise. But I don't want Stuart to go, Zilla said. He has a bad cold, and ought to be kept in the house. Slip away from him if you can. And as for he sees you, Annie, Piercy start out, he'll scream himself sick. Or if not, himself, other people, she added with a laugh. I'll do my best, but you will have to engage his attention for a while, said Annis. Yes, Stuart, come here, Mama wants to speak to you. No, me doing out, pay horse. "'Wis Piercy that shall return with a scowl and a shake of his little shoulders.' Zilla put down her sewing rose and went to him. "'Come with Mama, Pat,' she said in coaxing tones, stooping down to caress and fondle him. "'Don't you want to go out to the kitchen and see what Celestiana is doing?' "'No, me don't. Me's doing that outdoors to pay. "'Horse, Wis Piercy!' shouted the child defiantly, quite seen through the artifice.' Zilla began to grow impatient. No, you are not, she said peremptorily. You cannot play out of doors at all today because you have a bad cold and it would make you sick. I will, I will, I will, screamed the child, stamping his foot at her and clenching his tiny fist. Op de door dis minute, naughty mamma. I will do out pay horse. There was something comical in his baby rage, and unfortunately Zilla could not refrain from laughing, though the other ladies looked on in grave concern. Her mirth had not a happy effect upon the little rebel. Bursting from grasp, he ran toward the door, just closing on Annis and Piercy, screaming at the top of his voice, Let me do with you, Annis! Ope de door! Pounding on it with his little fists, then taking hold of the knob and trying to turn it for himself. You bad boy, I'm ashamed of you, Jill, Zilla said, taking his hand, which he instantly snatched away. Stop this screaming or I'll take you home. No, shan't do home. Me's doing out pay horse with Piercy. I do believe he's the most persistent child I ever saw, or that ever was made, Zilla exclaimed with angry impatience, apparently addressing the company in general. I wonder if it would hurt him to go out for a little. Well, if I wrap him up well, do you think it would, mother? Perhaps not physically, Zilla, Mrs. Keith answered, with look and tone of grave disapproval. But morally, it certainly would have a very bad effect. You have told him positively that he shall not go out to play today, and if you break your word, how can you expect him ever to esteem his mother a perfectly truthful woman? You make a very serious matter of it, mother, Zilla said, reddening. It is a very serious thing, my dear daughter, Mrs. Keith answered in her own sweet, gentle way, and with a look of loving sympathy. She would have said more, but Stuart at that instant renewed the screams he had ceased for a moment upon perceiving symptoms of relenting on his mother's part. But Zilla now felt that for very shame she must remain firm. She tried the old plan of coaxing and wheedling, offered picture books, stories, candy, but nothing would do except the forbidden pleasure, and at length, losing all patience, she took him into another room and gave him the punishment Don would have liked to prescribe on a former occasion. Then she cried over him while he sobbed himself to sleep in her arms. Having laid him on a bed, covered him carefully, and left a tender kiss on his cheek, she went back to the sitting-room where the others were. Sitting down by her mother's side, she took up her sewing and tried to go on with it, but her hands trembled and tears dimmed her sight. She dropped the work to wipe them away. 
Oh, mother, she said in quivering tones, what shall I do with that child? I can never bring him up right, as you have brought us up all of yours. It is a great work, dear, to train up a child in the way he should go, Mrs. Keith answered in sympathizing tones. And the wisest of us may well ask, who is sufficient for these things? Yet rejoice and take courage in the assurance that our sufficiency is of God. Do not forget his gracious promise. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Whatever success I may have had in bringing up my children aright has been given me in answer to prayer and in fulfillment of that promise. I love him so dearly I can hardly bear to refuse him anything, sighed Zilla, wiping her eyes and resuming her work. I hope, daughter, that you love him well enough to give yourself the pain of refusing him hurtful indulgences, was her mother's grave response. It often requires deeper, truer love to deny than to grant, to punish than to let slip, but a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. Yes, mother, I know that is Bible truth, and I do not intend to leave mine to himself. I do really earnestly desire to bring him up for God in heaven. Faulty as my training has been, I fear, thus far. But he is so young yet, it seems so hard to discipline such a mere baby. I know it does, my dear child. I have not forgotten my own experience. But I assure you, you will spare much suffering to both him and yourself by beginning early the lesson that parental authority is to be respected and prompt and cheerful obedience rendered. Be very gentle with him, giving your directions in the form of requests rather than commands unless it becomes necessary to order him. I think children should be treated with consideration and politeness as well as grown people. It is the best way to teach them to be polite and considerate toward others. It was your way of teaching us, mother, remarked Mildred with an affectionate smiling glance into her mother's sweet placid face and a very effectual one it has proved in their case remarked mrs stanhope i think it has said mrs keith then went on there is another thing my two daughters that i wish to impress upon you it is the paramount importance of always keeping your word with your children try not to make hasty promises or threats which you may regret having to carry out i need scarcely urge upon you the importance of being always entirely truthful with them since you know how severely the scriptures condemn any even the slightest departure from truth i should hope not indeed mother said zilla i know i have not always been firm with my boy i sometimes let him gain his wishes which i have at first denied by persistent fretting and crying and have often too coaxed when i ought to have demanded obedience but i have never tried to secure his obedience by deceiving or telling him what was not true it is surprising what very lax ideas many persons yes even some who profess to be Christians have in regard to that thing, remarked Miss Stanhope, shrinking from the exertion of the pain of enforcing obedience by legitimate means, they resort to subterfuge, prevarication, or even downright falsehood. I have heard a mother say to her refractory or crying child, If you don't come into the house now, a big black bear will catch you, or if you don't stop that screaming, a dog will come and bite you. Besides that, they will utter threats. They have not the remotest intention of carrying out, a fact which the little ones are not slow to discover and act upon. 
At this point, this conversation was interrupted by a call from two neighbors. It was of unfashionable length, and the talk ran principally upon housekeeping children and servants. One of the callers, an elderly lady, had several little antidotes to tell of the smart sayings and doings of her grandchildren, one of them so aptly illustrating Miss Stanhope's recent remarks that Mildred and Zilla could not refrain from a furtive exchange of significant glances. This was the narrative they drew that drew them forth. Two of my grandchildren were staying in our, at our house last week, Mary Bronson, my son's daughter. She's ten years old, and Tommy Lynn, my oldest daughter's child, he's about five, and has a great notion of being a man. He's out of petticoats now, and you couldn't punish him worse than by making him put them on again. Well, the second night he was with us, I was in a quandary. His nightgown had been hung out to dry, and a shower had come up and made it soaking wet, for you see, nobody had thought to bring it in, and his mother had sent only one. When Tommy saw the condition it was in, he spoke right up. Grandmother, don't you give me a girl's nightgown, because I shan't wear it. I want to have a man's. Yes, I said, so you shall. Mary, you go and get one of his Uncle Sam's for him. Then I whispered to her, bring one of yours. So she brought it, and as I shook it out, Tommy looked at it very suspiciously. Is that a man's, he says? Yes, says I, it's one of your Uncle Sam's. So he let me put it on him, and went off to sleep as quiet and contented as could be. But do you think it was right? asked Miss Stanhope in a tone of gentle remonstrance. It was not the truth you told the child. No, acknowledged Mrs. Bronson reluctantly, but what is a body to do? You have to manage children somehow, and if I hadn't deceived him, there'd have been a regular battle. What would you have done in my place? Anything, I hope, rather than tell an untruth to one child and give a lesson in falsehood and deception to the other. Excuse an old woman's plain speaking, but how can you ever tell that little Mary that lying is a great sin? Or how blame her if she, at some future day, puts your lesson in practice to deceive you, perchance, in some matter of vital importance to you or herself? There was silence in the room for some moments, while Mrs. Bronson sat looking extremely uncomfortable. Then she said, with an attempt to speak lightly, "'You make a very serious matter of it, Miss Stanhope.' "'It is a serious matter,' returned Aunt Wealthy, "'as I am sure you all knowledge upon thoughtful consideration. "'I'm sorry to cause you mental disquiet, but faithful are the wounds of a friend.' The wise man says, That is true, and I dare say you are right. I shall think over what you have been saying. Mrs. Bronson returned, rising to take leave. What do you think of it all? She asked her companion as they left the house. I'm afraid the old lady was right, Sarah, though I own I never thought of it in that light before, telling fibs to children to keep them from misbehaving, I mean. I've done it occasionally myself, but I don't think I ever shall again. As she said, how can we expect them to speak the truth if we are not always careful to do it ourselves? Annis Mildred called to her sister, please bring Piercy in now. It is growing too late for him to be out. He doesn't want to come, was the answer. Can he stay out a little longer? No, the sun is near setting, and the air is growing quite cold, Mildred answered, running down into the garden and taking her little boy by the hand. Come, son, we must go in now, for Mama does not want her dear baby to get sick. No, won't get sick, he asserted in the most positive manner. Please, Mama, let Piercy take wee little bit longer. 
No, darling, but if it is a good day tomorrow, you shall have a nice long play and a drive in the carriage with Papa and Mamma beside. She was leading him gently on toward the house while she spoke. The child did not resist, but he set up a loud wail. My little boy must not be naughty, Mildred said, in a gently reproving tone. Still the crying continued, and indeed increased in violence as she led him over the threshold into the hall. There she stopped, and stooping down to take off his outdoor garments fiercely, she said firmly, You must stop this noise at once. Mama is very sorry her little boy is so naughty. Now be good, and we will go into the parlor to see dear Grandma and the rest, and you may go get up on a chair by the window and watch for Grandpa and Papa and Uncle Wallace to come to supper. They'll be coming pretty soon, and then we will have our supper, and after that Piercy shall go to his nice little bed. Being of a pleasant disposition, and having already learned by experience that nothing was ever gained from his mother by fretting, crying, or teasing, the little fellow presently ceased his wailing, allowed her to dry his eyes, gave her a kiss, and promised to be good, and was so for the rest of his stay at his grandfather's. Zilla had watched the little scene with interest, and had not failed to note the fact that Don's report of Mildred's management was correct, that she did not caress and fondle her child while he was misbehaving, but treated him a way, in a way to make it evident to him that his conduct was displeasing to her. At the tea-table there was again an illustration of the difference in the training the two children were receiving. Piercy was given only plain, wholesome food suited to his infant ears. Stuart, refusing to be content with that, was permitted to eat cake, preserves, meat, in fact, everything upon the table to which he chose to take a fancy. "'Is that the way you feed your child?' the doctor asked in a tone of surprise, quite unmingled with approval. "'Yes,' replied Wallace, carelessly. "'He eats whatever we do. We let him have anything on the table that he fancies. You don't think it the best plan, I see?' "'No, unless your object is to make an invalid of him.' "'I couldn't bear to eat dainties without giving my child a share,' exclaimed Zilla, with some heat, and it never hurts him. "'I think you are mistaken there,' said the doctor. "'That such indulgence does not immediately result in violent illness is no proof that it does no harm. "'I am afraid you will discover one day, when it is too late, that very serious harm has been done. "'There is great danger that his digestive organs will give away under the great strain put upon them, "'and if you do not lose him, you will have him a sufferer for life.' Zilla looked startled and alarmed, while Wallace, turning to her, said, "'If that's the case, little wife, we must promptly turn over a new leaf with him. I'm afraid Charlie has the right of it. You know how restless Stuart is often at night, and I dare say it's all owing to our foolish habit of indulging him in eating rich and unwholesome food.' "'I suppose so. I begin to think I am not fit to have a child,' Zilla said, half impatiently, half sadly. "'for my management so far seems to have been all blunders.' "'Live and learn, daughter,' her father said cheerily. "'Don't be disheartened, but set about correcting your mistakes as fast as possible.' "'I don't think,' he added, patting Stuart's head, "'that my namesake grandson is quite ruined yet. Do you, Uncle Charlie?' "'Oh, no, indeed,' replied the doctor. "'He's a fine little fellow, and I want him to have a chance to continue such, physically, as well as otherwise.' It shall not be his father's fault if he doesn't, said Wallace, nor his mother's, added Zilla. Wallace, we would rather live on very plain fare ourselves than have our boy injured with rich living, wouldn't we? 
Certainly, but perhaps they need not be the only alternative, he answered with a good-humored smile. I'm sure I don't want to have a battle with him at every meal, she said disconsolately. Perhaps that may be avoided by sending him to his play before bringing on an objectionable dishes, said her husband. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker Soft Story Classic. <laughs>